0: And so uh, we're in the third of four Sundays speaking about that subject. The Lord, this is our third uh, installment of that. The Lord will speak peace unto his people. One of my favorite verses on the subject of peace. God can speak something into existence that wasn't there before. He speaks it. We need his... Peace, and we desire his peace, and we long for him to speak peace to someone we love, if not ourself. And so this morning, the Lord will speak peace unto his people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the blessed privilege of being here together, joining our voices in worship to you. Thank you for what you've done this week, for the souls you have saved, for the hearts you have touched and blessed. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 85, if you would, please. Let's all turn there or flip there or touch there. (laughs) Psalm 85. Many, most of the Psalms, the Holy Spirit used David to write. The inspiration of the Scripture Is sort of like uh, the different types of uh, instruments. The Bible says all of the Bible is God-breathed, or the Greek word is theonoustos. God breathes through this man, and he breathes through this man, and he breathes through this man. But if you breathe through a trumpet, and you breathe through a clarinet, and if you breathe through a tuba, It may be the same breath, but it's going to come out different. God breathed through David, and when you read some of these psalms, you sense this is David's life. Psalm 85 is not David. We're not sure who it is, but we are pretty sure when it occurred. Scholars are of the opinion that this psalm was actually written down after the return of the Jews out of Babylon. This is about 500 years before Christ. One can only imagine what they must have gone through in Babylon. It'd be like taking the city of Lodi or Stockton and lock, stock, and barrel, moving them to Central America or something. Not that far, but I mean, moving them to Mexico. You'd be there and you would long to go back to the home where you could understand and be like it used to be. But not only were they displaced physically, their culture was totally decimated. Lives were, and families were broken up. This was a difficult season, and it had, did a number on their faith for sure. But God brought them out of captivity and brought them back home. They were weary. They were worn. They had spiritual PTSD for sure. They were hoping and praying for better days. They were looking to the horizon, wondering and hoping when the rain might let up. And then the blessed Holy Spirit sends them a glorious confirmation of God the Father's blessed intentions. And we find that in verses 8 through 13. What does God have planned for us? What is God going to do for us now that we're back home? What are his intentions? Well, we're going to see six different things that God intended for His people in these verses. And so let's go through these verses, verse by verse. Verse number 8. In fact, let's read verse 8 together, would you? Psalm 85 and verse 8. Ready? Begin. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for He will speak peace unto His people and to His saints, but let them not turn again to folly. The first thing that God has planned for his people is a peace pronounced. Now, what did the writer promise himself from God in answer to his prayers? He said the Lord would speak peace to his people and to his saints. Notice the word his people. Sometimes we say these are my people (laughs) or my peeps who are the Lord's people? They have done a study of the people in the world today. There are actually no races in the world today. There's only the human race. We all go back to Adam and Eve, one race. But there are many people groups. Studies have shown that there are at least 11,000 people groups if you base them on languages. If you base them by languages and also dialects, there would probably be thirteen thousand people groups. If you, uh, if the criteria was not only language and dialect but culture, and region and religion, that number swells to twenty-four thousand different people groups. That's a whole lot of different people for sure, from the barren deserts of the Sahara, to the tall mountains of the Andes. There are people groups all over that speak different languages who have incredible cultures. And yet, in reality, there's only two people groups. One human race, but only two people groups. There's not 10,000 or 13,000 or 24,000 people groups. Truly, there's only two. Here's what it says, his people. There's either his people or not his people. That's it. That's the only two people groups. That is, as Jesus said, you are either of your father God or of your father the devil. Jesus made it very clear. There's only two people groups in here. God says, you are my people. Who are those that are God's people? Those who have been set apart for him and saved by him and submitted to him. And yet even sometimes God's people find themselves stressed. It doesn't seem to connect, you know. I mean, I'm one of God's people. I should never be stressed. But we still find ourselves stressed. But sooner or later, God will speak peace to His people. He may or not may not bring immediate outward peace, yet speaking to our hearts by the blessed Holy Spirit, He brings and speaks Inner peace. How does he do that? He may use an obscure passage in the Bible, just a verse or even a word or even a letter. He may, he, some illustration in a message might just really ring true with us. It might be a song on the radio or we might hear it in church. It might be just simply the singing of a bird outside or a beautiful sunset, but we're there, and in that moment, all of a sudden, just the peace of God floods us. We didn't plan it, we didn't uh, intend for it to happen. Although we wished for it to happen, it was just something that God spoke. How many of would testify this morning that there's been a time when God spoke peace to your heart? He just spoke it. I mean, it wasn't planning; it just happened. Would you give? God glory by a raised hand. Yes. You know what I'm talking about then. God brings peace. He makes them to hear the joy and the gladness of heaven. But look what it says in verse number eight. I will hear what the Lord will speak. It's not automatic. The fact is God may be broadcasting FM, but we got our radio turned on to AM. God's busy broadcasting, but we're not hearing it. We have to receive it. In order to get peace from God, we've got to receive it. God speaks peace, but we must not be deaf to it. God wants us to have a humble heart or we can't hear it. God wants us to have a thankful heart or we can't hear it. We've got to receive it. There was a fellow that was stuck on his rooftop in a flood. He was praying desperately for God to help. Soon, a man in a rowboat came by and shouted to the man on the roof, Jump into my boat. I can save you. The stranded man shouted back, It's okay. It's okay. I've been praying to God, and He is going to save me. So the man in the rowboat went on. Then a motorboat came by, and the fellow there in that little motorboat said, Jump in. I'll take you a lot quicker. We'll get over there to the shore. The stranded man on top of that Rooftop, The flood water is rising. said, no thanks. I'm praying to God and he's going to save me. I have faith. So the man in the motorboat went on. Then a helicopter came. The pilot it hovered over that man. And the pilot shouted down, grab this rope and we'll lift you to safety. Again, the same response. No thanks. I'm praying to God. He's going to save me. So reluctantly, the helicopter flew away. Soon the water rose above the rooftop and the man drowned. He went to heaven and finally got a chance to discuss his situation with God. He said, I really understand, God. I had faith in you. I prayed to you and you let me drown. And then God looked at him and said, "Uh, I sent you a rowboat and I sent you a motorboat and I sent you a helicopter. What more do you expect? You know, the fact is God has sent us an answer, hasn't he? But we've got to receive it. We've got to receive it. And that's what God said. You can have peace, but you've got to receive it. Now finally, notice in this verse a caution. There's only one type and one type only that can get peace. And that is those that don't turn again to their folly. Those that don't turn to their folly. People that are right with God have peace in their heart. To live in sin as a lost person is folly, foolishness. But as a child of God, to go back and return to a life of sin is insanity. There are many Christians today that find peace in God. They get happiness. And then somewhere along the line, they just lose focus. And they begin to seek happiness. They begin to long for peace. But the way to happiness is not trying to seek it. They don't realize that happiness is a byproduct. It is not the main product. God said, you seek me, I'll give you peace. You seek me, you seek seek me, I'll give you happiness. And to those people who say, man, I'm going to find me a little happiness in a bottle of whiskey. I'm going to find me happiness in smoking some dope. Or I'm going to find me happiness in going out and having an affair. You may seek happiness, but you will find, you will not find it because happiness is not something you seek. It is always a byproduct, as peace is. Peace is something that we, that God speaks to us because as it says here, we don't have a heart that's seeking falling. If you have a heart that says, I want to serve God, it's not that we're sinless. It's not that we don't make mistakes, but if your direction is firmly towards God, And God said, you're a candidate to get peace spoken to you. Certainly the Lord has planned peace. Not only a peace pronounced, but a help devoted. Verse 9 in the first part there. God said, surely his salvation is nigh to them that fear him. Another blessing that God had for the returning Jews was a promise of peace to all those who maintained a healthy, respect a fear of God. Sometimes today people kind of condemn others for preaching, you know, you're making people afraid of God. And I say to that, amen. Now, I don't think it ought to be a slavish fear. I grant that. But it certainly ought to be a healthy fear. I think our country needs a whole lot of dose of people getting a healthy fear of God. When I see what's going on in the news, When I read the things I read on blogs and in public, i tell you one thing. We need a a healthy dose of the fear of God. And notice what it says. Surely his salvation is nigh to those that fear him. Surely. That means take it to the bank. You can guarantee this. God says salvation or help. Help is near, closer than we might imagine. However great the difficulties we face, the fact is God's there. And His help comes. His salvation is as close as the trouble that comes into our life. I like what Psalm 46 and verse 1 says. God is a very present help in trouble. Have you ever wondered where God is? God is right there. He's very present. He hasn't left. Like the back in the day, you know, they used to have bench seats. And... Uh, Way back when, you know, you'd drive along and uh, you'd have your wife sitting right next to you or your girlfriend. You'd drive along. You can't do that anymore. But back in the day, we had those bench seats and that was a great time, boy. You could have your girlfriend right there. Well, one time this wife was, she'd been married for several years and she was kind of fussing a little bit like her husband really wasn't paying attention to her. She said, well, honey, when we were courting, I used to sit right next to you, and you'd drive along there, and we just had it. we were so close. And uh, he looked over at his wife and said, "Honey, well, I haven't moved." <laughs> I'm still driving. <laughs> You're the one that moved over, you know? And the fact is, God hasn't moved. Amen. God is still there. God is close to us. He's a very present help in trouble. People may walk out on you, but Jesus never. He is very present more present than anybody could ever be. Even with our cell phones and even as close as people are, Jesus is closer than a cell phone. He's a very present help. There's a story told of a Sunday school class. The Sunday school teacher asked the question in your time of discouragement, in your time of difficulty, what has been your favorite verse? Some dear middle-aged lady said, you know, my favorite verse is Psalm 46.1. God is my refuge and my strength. He is a very present help in trouble. Everybody said, amen. That's a great verse. Then old Mr. John, 90-year-old Mr. John, a head of white hair and beautiful dark skin, he stood up and said with as much strength as he could muster. He said, my favorite verse it came to pass. Everybody kind of chuckled under their breath a little bit. It came to pass. He said, yes. 85 times in the Bible it says, and it came to pass. He says, at 30 years old, I lost my job, and I had six hungry mouths to, and a wife to feed. I didn't know how I could make it. At 40 years old, my oldest son was killed overseas in the war, and it knocked me down. And at 50, my house burned to the ground. Nothing was saved. At 60, my wife of 40 years got cancer. And it slowly ate away to her until she was gone. And I still miss her today. And he said, here I am at 90 years old. But he said, how many times have I prayed? And how many times have I knelt on my knees? And he said, what I found over all these years is it came to pass. Because through it all, God just brought me through it. It came, but it passed. Hallelujah. Like the like Psalm 23 says, "We walk through the valley." Hallelujah, you walk through it. Isn't that a good news this morning? That no person in this room is going to have to stay in the valley. You get to pass through it. it and we always get through, and it came to pass. God spoke peace to that brother by that obscure little verse, and it came to pass. God speaks peace. A help, a peace pronounced, a help devoted, and an honor secured. Look at the last part of verse 9. Glory, that glory may dwell on our land. The greatest honor for any people, for any group, is when they have the freedom to worship God. And when that freedom of worship is settled and it is established, then it becomes the glory of the land. And that's what the writer of Psalms here was saying, that thank God we're going to leave Babylon and we're going to have the glory of the Lord is going to be back in our land. God is going to meet with us and God is going to be here present. And we're going to be able to unashamedly proclaim that Jesus is God. You know, during this program the beautiful music and all the proclamation. Jesus was not just a prophet. Jesus was not just a great man. Jesus was not just a teacher. Jesus is God. That very statement in about half the world would end us up in jail. We'd be in jail tonight for having a performance like that in public. But I'll tell you one thing, thank God we can do it. And because of that, God gets glory. And that's what God's saying here. Glory dwells in the land. Glory dwells in the land. I tell you this morning that America is not great because of her resources. America is great not because of her education or military. America is great because the gospel is freely preached from Alaska all the way down to the shores of Florida. The gospel is being preached. That's the glory of any land. And God is saying here, it is an honor when the gospel is being preached. In the Old Testament there's a story that God a sad story but God used it to describe what had happened to his people. You may remember the story the man called Eli he was a high priest you find the story in 1 Samuel. Eli's son died in battle his son's name was Phinehas. When he died in battle at that very time his wife was pregnant with their child. When the child was born, the wife named the child Ichabod. And when she named that child Ichabod, God then told the people, He said, that is exactly what has happened in my heart to you. The word Ichabod means the glory hath departed. There was a time when Israel had the glory of God. Israel was preaching the word of God and Israel was thinking about serving God. And now Israel has walked away from God. And at that moment, you lost your glory. The glory has departed. Ichabod. God said he wrote Ichabod over his people. I've been in the ministry 40 years, and I wish it wasn't true, but I will tell you that there are so many individuals and so many families who were at one time serving God and sitting in church and had their Bibles open and their beautiful fresh scrubbed little children sitting next to them. Men who led their homes and precious women who followed and supported and they were in the work and they were trying to serve God. And then somewhere the devil snuck in and they began to lay out and they began to kind of have this thought or this thought. And before long, Ichabod was written over that individual. And Ichabod was written over that family, and the glory departs, and the glory departs. And today, sometimes I see them around the city, and sometimes they visit. And while I'm respectful, and while I am so, uh, my heart's full of love, at the very same moment, there's a deep grieving in my spirit, because I know Ichabod was written on that person. It reminds me of like going to some city and you see the glory of that city, what it once was. Beautiful buildings downtown that used to be the glory of that city. And today the sign hangs down. It's all dirty. Ichabod is written on that building. Ichabod. The glory has departed, and God said, the moment you turned your back on me, and the moment you started going after Molech, and the minute you started going the opposite way, I will tell you, you didn't go uphill, you went downhill, and the glory has departed. Ichabod is on my people. You have me for a God, and you're running after the devil. You're running after the world. Why? What does the world have? Ichabod. I'll tell you one thing, it is an amazing, uh, amazing honor for God to say, these are my people. But it is a tragic grief when God says, Ichabod. A peace pronounced to help devoted, honor secured, but hallelujah, a favor restored. Verses 10 and 11, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. I would tell you, those are some of the sweetest words in all of human language. Where there is no truth, everything goes to ruin. In the book of Isaiah chapter 59, God said, I'm sad to tell you, but in my nation right now, truth has fallen in the street. Truth, fallen in the streets. Trampled on by every foot of pride. Everybody just walking over it. The Word of God trampled by people who should be holding it precious to their bosom. Truth is fallen in the streets. Who will come and give a helping hand to truth that has fallen? When When mercy and truth are met together and when righteousness and peace are kissed, then the blessing and the favor of God springs out of the earth and righteousness comes down from heaven. Like we used to sing, when the prayers go up, the blessings will come down. But it doesn't just happen because we think it's going to happen. It happens when mercy and truth meet together and righteousness and peace kiss each other. Where the word of God is preached and honored and lived, God's favor is showered down when people come back to God, God comes back to them. That's what James, the brother of Jesus, wrote. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Turn your back on God, and you're turning your back on peace. These verses say this. God is a God of mercy. And God is also a God of truth. Yes, God wants to take people to heaven. Yes, God wants to give them eternal life, but God can't just look away and look past sin because His holiness and His justice demands that every soul that sinneth it shall die. The wages of sin is death. His truth demands that He always honor His word. His merciful heart longs to just throw away the truth and say, everybody is okay everybody can go to heaven but his truth demands that righteousness be honored how could this how could this ever come together they're at far ends of the spectrum mercy's over there and truth's over there what will happen what will bring them together god said this is what happens in the book of romans it says he is both just and a justifier of them that believe here's what god did god satisfied his law when uh, blood was shed, but not just any flood. Divine blood, the blood of Jesus was shed and truth was satisfied. And then God could then offer his mercy. Mercy and truth have met together. They have kissed one another. And the next thing is that truth now springs out of the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. And that's what God does. His favor and his glory comes down because the mercy and the justice of God have met together. What does the Lord have planned for his people? A peace pronounced, a help devoted, an honor secured, a favor restored, and an abundance appointed. Verse twelve. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. What does the Lord have planned for our country now that we're back in our land? And What does the Lord have planned? God has increase. When the gospel dwells in our lives, when the gospel dwells in our homes, when the gospel is freely preached in our country, it yields an increase. Spiritual prosperity promotes outward prosperity. People lay off alcohol. They start having a better work ethic people lay off marijuana, they start working better. When we were in the island of Vanuatu, a terrible blight on that particular place because 90 plus percent of the men are addicted to kava. Kava is a root that's easily grown and it's a has a mind-altering effects. And it's a numbing effect. It actually physically numbs you, but it mentally just people walk around almost like in a stupor. And you'll see it every night. Men work; they're not very good workers. They're not very clean people. Not very clean. I mean, it's just a terrible, really. The as a, a nation with so much blight. Most of us, due to the people, are stoned. The men are stoned, and they spend their just days, you know, kind of just. That kava stuff is just, they eat it and they drink it. It's kind of a gooey little drink stuff, folks. I'm telling you what, spiritual prosperity promotes outward prosperity. When they get saved and they get off a kava, boy, they start just prospering. They start working. They start buying homes and lands and having businesses. When mercy and truth and righteousness have an influence on men's hearts' lives, increase comes. Nothing good comes from living a life independent from God. Sometimes people say, man, if I become a Christian, I'll never have any fun. Oh, really? If I become a Christian, I won't ever have any money because I've always given it to the church. Really? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, Jesus said, as he was standing on that mountaintop. He said, I know you want to seek your own way. Like Brother Ray was saying, we want to seek our own way first. But I promise you, if you'll seek the kingdom of God first then things will be added unto you. Things, the things that make life nicer. I mean, it's nicer to have a car that you know is going to take you to Modesto than one that's going to just get halfway. It's nicer. Well, that's a good thing. But God says you've got to seek God first. I love that passage in 1 Timothy chapter 4 where it says godliness has a promise of the life that is now not only future, I know godliness helps my future, but godliness helps my now life. And that's what I like. The best way to have a comfortable life in this world is to focus on another world. When you begin at the right end of the work, you build right. When you build something, you don't start with the roof, you start with the foundation. And so many people are running to the roof. Man, the other day I was watching some little 20-year-old little snot head little kid, 21-year-old little, I mean, had a brand new car. I was, I was driving down the road in my car, you know, I was like 15 years old thinking, how in the world does a little 21-year-old snot-faced little kid get a car like that? I'll tell you one thing, he started at the roof. But when you build a life, you start at the foundation started the foundation. I'm going to serve God first. When you serve God first, he gives you the things. And then you build a strong house. And then when you get to be my age, you drive a fancy car, like a 58 Volkswagen. That's the kind of car you get to drive. And then finally, a guidance offered. (laughs) A guy asked me the other day, is that car for sale? I smiled at him and said, everything's for sale. (laughs) How much money you got? And uh, (laughs) I love my car, but it ain't worth that much. I'll tell you right now. A guidance offered, verse 13. Righteousness shall go before him. Thank God for his guiding hand. This world's an awfully dark place. Sure nice to have somebody come alongside and help us through it. If you've ever gone to a doctor's appointment with fear in your heart because they called you and said you need to come in. We need to have a test taken. It is sure nice to have someone sitting next to you when you get that notice. And whether you do or whether you don't, I will tell you if you're a believer you always have God with you. Because this verse says He goes before us. He goes before us. John the Baptist went before Jesus to prepare the way. And Jesus preached righteousness. I will tell you that Christ goes before us. How many of you would testify that God was preparing you for something that you never really realized? You've been trying to serve God. You've been trying to do right. And sometimes the the school that you went through just doesn't make sense. And yet, now you look back and you see God has been preparing you for this. How many would give testimony to the fact God has been preparing you? Of course, He does. You know who does that? God. Christ does that. It says right here He shall, He goes before us. He goes before us. Life is way too crazy to do alone. You may be a self-made man, and you may be a self-made woman and think you don't need anybody. You may be one of those kind of ladies, you know, you open the door for them. They look at you like, what are you doing that for? I'm opening the door for you. <laughs> don't you open the door for me. And uh, I'm a new woman. These boots are made for walking. And uh, I'll walk right over you, buddy. And uh, okay, ma'am, I'm, I'm sorry. And, or sir, or whatever you are. And uh, <laughs> you don't know anymore. It's fluid. Um, I I will hear what God the Lord will speak. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people. When there is no peace, he speaks it. There was no peace in this earth. The earth was void and without form, and God spoke the world into existence. He spoke, and the land came out of the void. He spoke, and there was water. He spoke, and the sun came into existence. He spoke, and the stars came like chandeliers in the sky. He spoke this world into existence. He spoke. For Bible believers, literalists, we believe in a form of creation called out of nothing. Different than theological evolutionists that say, well, yeah, there was God, but it's evolution. No, God spoke it out of nothing. He didn't take something and remake it. He spoke it out of nothing. He spoke it into existence. And that same God who spoke this world into existence, that same God, can speak peace into your world. It wasn't even there until God spoke it into my heart. Jesus came to a troubled sea one day, and he said, peace, be still. There are many a troubled sea in this room this morning. You don't talk about it a lot, but your sea is troubled. You have a child that is wayward. Your mom and dad may be at odds with one another, and you have to hear their fighting. There was a trusted elder that abused you, a friend that stabs you in the back. You have a body that's breaking down, and some are drowning in debt and your sea is troubled. There are others this morning who walk in and see precious ladies with babies in their arms, but your, your womb is barren. You go home and you know that at least it appears that God hasn't intended that for you. Others will crawl into a bed tonight with someone that they love, and they will hold them close and cold night, but you crawl into bed alone tonight and your heart is broken. Perhaps you've taken the one you love dearest. You traveled to a place you didn't want to have to go. You put them in a box and you lowered them six feet under the ground and your sea is troubled. But I announced to you this morning, dear child of God, peace He speaks peace into every troubled heart. He speaks peace when there's no peace. He speaks peace to that troubled sea. He just stands up and says, Peace. 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 Peace." I've walked around my house before. At night. And walked from this to this to there to there and just said peace 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 and God spoke peace bring peace lord Spring, speak peace lord speak peace to this troubled heart speak peace there have been those of you that I've my heart hurts for and early some morning I'll say oh god speak peace to them today I don't know if you're going to change their situation, but God, you can speak peace in that sea. Speak it, Lord. Speak peace to them, Lord. Bring peace to them, Lord. I have driven around this city saying, oh, peace, peace, speak peace. And I promise you this morning, on the authority of the word of God, you can have peace. You can walk out of this building with peace but you've got to put your heart and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to live a life that's right before him and say, I want him. I want to serve him. Lord, you got my life. I don't have any other direction but towards you. God, please take Ichabod off of my life. I surrender to you. I come back, God. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning.